morning, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Cuts with Decrom. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and well, we are already a quarter of the way through the 2017 NFL season. Can you believe it? Uh, seriously, time flies. But for the second week in a row, the NFL brought us some more exciting, heart-palpitating finishes, and Week 5 brings us a slate of games that promises more of such quality entertainment beginning this Thursday night as Week 5 kicks off with the Patriots being the Buccaneers for what could be a wild shootout in Tampa. And to help us preview that and the other intriguing Week 5 contests, let's bring in our good friend Hal Bent, Patriots writer for MusketFire.com, Cover32.com, and ScoutMedia.com to the show. How you doing, Hal? I'm doing great, David. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, and thank you for donating your time and talents and coming on the show yet again, Hal. Your service is tremendously appreciated here. And before we preview our Week 5 games, yeah, what were your four big takeaways from Week 4? So um, I'm never picking the Browns ever again the rest of my life. That's takeaway number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, beyond that, there's no quick fix for the New England defense. Um Wow, the Los Angeles Rams might actually be for real. And can anybody stop the Kansas City Chiefs? The Chiefs are an incredibly tough team to beat, but I thought there were some chinks in the armor last night. And could it be exposed in Houston this Sunday? We will talk about that a little later on in the program. But first, let's talk about that Thursday night game I alluded to between the Pats and Bucks. And you said it, Hal, uh, and you answered one of my questions. There is no quick fix for this Patriots defense, although I uh, do expect Bill Belichick to make the necessary adjustments eventually. It is unfair to expect dramatic improvement in just four days. And But I want to look at this uh, problem a little more specifically. What do you think the bigger problem is for the Patriots defense? Because I see two weaknesses with this defense the lack of a quality pass rush, and communication issues in the secondary. What is the larger problem of the two? Well, the pass rush covers up a lot of the problems in the secondary, and that's where they're really dropping off. We saw Jabal shared for the Colts in the first half on Sunday night against the Seahawks, putting some pressure um, in the backfield that New England certainly didn't do earlier in the day against the Panthers. Um, Chris Long off in no longer with New England anymore, so that was another big loss. And Rob Ninkovich, who was a steady, stabilizing force on that defensive line, retired as well. Patriots brought in Coney Ely. He didn't work out in New England, but he had a great game for the Jets last week and, and led them to victory. He was probably the best player on the field. So that pass rush right now is the biggest problem that they have in New England on that defense. As they say, you're only as good as you are up front, and... Uh... Once again, Hal, you said that it is definitely unfair to expect the Patriots to show dramatic improvement in just four days. So uh, do you think it is fair for everybody to expect a shootout between two explosive offenses on Thursday night? It's very likely. I certainly have this as a pick-the-over kind of game. You know, the Buccaneers' defense is a little dinged up and hasn't been playing up to the potential that we saw in the preseason with that group. So I would definitely say we're looking at uh, close to 60 points total in this game, at least. I completely agree. And who do you have winning? I'm going with the Buccaneers. Until the Patriots fix this defense, as we saw uh, on Sunday, even with Tom Brady 
bringing the team back from a two-touchdown deficit in the fourth quarter. The defense could not make a stop and get off the field, and it cost them the game. And it's very likely that could be the way on Thursday night as well. It is very likely that that could be the way um, it turns out on Thursday. But I am going with the Patriots, and here's why. I see a matchup that could decide this game. Look at the Buccaneers linebacking core. Levante David is probably not going to play, and I think uh, Quan Alexander is iffy to play. That makes them depleted at linebacker, and that means a field day for Rob Gronkowski and those linebackers in space, which is the Patriots' bread and butter on offense. They'll be able to exploit that matchup more often, and the Bucks will be able to exploit the Patriots' defense. It'll be a close game, but I think the Patriots pull off a barn burner 34-31. to 31. And now let's move on to the Sunday noon slate of games. And the most intriguing matchup is a battle of three of two of the NFC's three and one teams, the Panthers and the Lions meeting at Detroit at Ford Field. And when you look at the Panthers uh, performance last Sunday, it was like a shot in the arm for their offense going against that Patriots defense. But uh, some people say, oh, it was just a fluke. They just um, uh they just were lucky to play the Patriots defense. But I will also add, as uh, Bucky Brooks of NFL.com noted, that the Panthers uh, fine-tuned their game plan and let Cam Newton be Cam Newton more often by making more designed runs, more RPOs for, for Cam. So kind of like playing more to Cam's strengths instead of trying to make him into something he is not. Do you think that offensive performance against the Patriots was more due to the Patriots' sports defense or their game plan or letting Cam be Cam or both? No, I, a lot of it had to do with Cam Newton looking like Cam Newton. I mean, the first couple games of the season, he was clearly hobbled. And if he's not able to run, that's taking away a lot from him. And you can't put him out there and risk losing him for the season if he's already dinged up and having him run around. So I think it was part of that was the a big part of the reason was is that just Cam Newton getting back to being Cam Newton. Um, Christian McCaffrey as well was a you could see the impact on his offense on the, that he has on that offense as well, where you could see the Patriots were overly concerned with him. And that led to some big plays by other players with multiple New England defenders trying to account for McCaffrey. Yeah, McCaffrey is a game-changing weapon, and opposing NFL defenses better start realizing that. And now let's look at this Lions team for a minute, and it's a very, very good football team. But so far this season, the Lions offense, they're not where they should be. Yes, Matthew Stafford's playing very good, but uh, in terms of efficiency, I think they need to make some progress. And these numbers come from my good man, Andrew Mason, from DenverBroncos.com. And these are stats I believe he got from profootballreference.com. I think that's the name of that website. Um, and forgive me if I got the source wrong, but still a look at it. You can find it on his uh, Twitter page, at Mace Denver. And, and according to those stats he pulled off, here are the rankings for the Lions offense uh, so far this season. They currently rank 22nd overall in net points per possession, 28th in net yards per possession, and 25th in first downs per possession, and it won't get any easier this week against a pretty stout Carolina defense. What should their game plan on offense be this Sunday going against this stout Carolina front seven? I'll give you another stat, David, that I found that I found amazing is Amir Abdullah is only playing 46% of the snaps so far this season for Detroit. They need to get him on the field and get the ball in his hands because he is their top playmaker coming out of the backfield, whether in the passing game or running game. 
Oh, that's a very good point. And I think he is that weapon that you need to get out in space, even against Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, and Shaq Thompson. Exactly. And, you know, if the the Lions, you know, they're not going to win a lot of 14 to 7 games this season like they did last week. So they're going to have to get Abdullah involved. They're going to have to see that offensive line continue to make improvements. I thought there was some of that last week, seeing TJ Lang having a big impact on that offensive line, particularly in the pass blocking and if, you know, the better they can protect up front, the more time they give Matthew Stafford to find someone like Golden Tate and get him involved in the offense, the better that offense is going to be. And I expect the Lions offense to take a jump once Taylor Decker um, comes back from that uh, shoulder injury. But uh, he unfortunately won't be available for the Lions this weekend. And who do you have winning between the Panthers and Lions on Sunday? I do have the Lions winning. Um, close game, though, 21-17. to 17. It's going to be a very close game, but I'm going to take the Panthers because I uh, trust their deep, because I believe this game is going to come down to which defense can make more big plays because both offenses have the potential to be explosive at times, and I trust that Panthers defense with their, all their playmakers in the front seven to make some game-deciding plays there for the Panthers to pull off a tight one in Motor City. And... And moving right along now, you mentioned the Los Angeles Rams earlier in this program, Hal, and uh, I am even more of a believer in them now than I was a week ago because of their impressive road victory over the Dallas Cowboys. But they obviously have a bigger opportunity this week to make a statement against the Seattle Seahawks at home, uh, as if to say a Rams win on Sunday would, would serve notice to the Seahawks that your time atop this division is over. It is our time now. But in recent years, the Seahawks have struggled, struggled against the Rams on the road in recent years. And they will be without two key players in this game in pass rusher Cliff Averill and running back Chris Carson. And the weakest link on this Rams team is stopping the run. And without a quality running back, that might be very hard. Um, that might be hard, harder than usual to do. So due to the injuries and their recent struggles against the Rams in road games recently, do you think there's more pressure on the Seahawks to win this game than there is on the Rams? Oh, definitely. The pressure is on Seattle because you can't fall under 500 and have the Rams sitting at four and one with a game in hand against you already. And I agree what you were saying with Sean McVay as well. It's a, a complete 180 if you're looking at that Rams offense from last season as compared to this season. I mean, talk about a team that a few tweaks and a few trades, free agent signings, and they're explosive. They most certainly are. And uh, what matchup do you think will decide this game? I think the Rams have to find a way to get a, a body on Bobby Wagner. Um, Wagner has been playing as great as he's been. This is probably the best I've seen him play in Seattle. He's been all over the field. He's been an impact in the passing game, in the running game. And if the Rams can't account for him and block him up, he's going to be making plays. And if he stops, you know, if there's some way to stop Gurley, it's going to be Bobby Wagner. Probably, but another potential matchup the Rams could exploit in that passing game with the abundance of weapons they have is they're probably going to attack uh, Shaquille Griffin, that rookie corner for the Seahawks. Uh, Jacoby Brissett and the Colts uh, made a point to attack him early and often last Sunday, and it worked to some degree early on, especially with that touchdown to Dante Moncrief late in the first half. 
that's a great point. You know, um, speaking of, you know, where we talked about New England secondary, there was Justin Coleman with that big interception return for a touchdown who Seattle plucked away from New England for a late round draft pick and looks like a great move with the lack of depth that they have at that cornerback position right now. Oh, it most certainly does. And especially with Jeremy Lane uh, likely being out for several games now, the, uh, but that further opens up the playbook for the Rams in that regard. And another matchup I see in this game that could bear weight, I mentioned the absence of Cliff Averill could loom large. Yes, the Seahawks have Frank Clark and they got Michael Bennett, but, uh, they're going to need somebody to help uh, Frank Clark get pressure on Jared Goff off the edge. And Andrew Whitworth, he has been the unsung hero um, for the Rams this season. That free agency addition has, uh, like last year, Jared Goff was running for his life with Greg Robinson protecting his blind side. And now with Andrew Whitworth protecting him, he has all the time in the world uh, to throw. And they're going to likely be putting up Marcus Smith, who did have a strip sack that led to that fumble recovery for a touchdown by Bobby Wagner in Sunday's game. He'll be playing uh, likely opposite of Frank Clark in on passing downs, most likely. But going against Whitworth, especially for a, a, a player that is still um, raw in many ways, is a, a very, very tall order. And if they're not able to get uh, pressure um, with um, Marcus Smith off the edge as well as Frank Clark, it, it could be a rough day for the Seahawks defense. It really could. And I mean, you look at one of those understated factors from when New England came back against Seattle in Super Bowl 49. And, you know, it was when that Seahawks defensive line started coming off the field with injuries um, that Tom Brady had time to throw and had time to pick apart that fantastic hey. Legion of Boom secondary. So just like we're seeing right now, if Seattle isn't generating that pressure, that's putting pressure on their secondary. And like you said, that opens up a lot of opportunities for the Rams to make some big chunk plays against the Seahawks. Most certainly, especially since, and the Seahawks know this, and their their offseason moves, that trade for Sheldon Richardson um, and how they loaded up on secondary depth of the draft symbolizes that they know the Legion of Boom is, as, as in the secondary, is pretty much past their prime, and they need more help up front to uh, hide whatever deficiencies they might have as they get older. So uh, they're going to have to get to Jared Goff first and foremost, and if not, it could be a long day, even with that Legion of Boom. And who do you have winning this game? I just have the Rams offense being just a little too much for the Seahawks and the Rams pull out a close one, 27-24. Great minds do think alike indeed. And now let's uh, move on to the other game in the three o'clock window that is going to be watched by a lot of people. The Packers traveling to Arlington and Jerry World to take on the Cowboys in a rematch of last year's NFC Divisional playoff thriller. And the Cowboys coming off that uh, heartbreaking uh, close loss to the Rams at home. And they're facing the Packers, who are coming off 11 days rest. And when you have give Aaron Rodgers 11 days to prepare against a defense like the Cowboys that is tremendously inconsistent, uh, that screams a huge advantage to the Packers. But the Cowboys are hoping that they get linebacker Sean Lee back for this week. And how much do you think will Sean Lee's presence help that Cowboys defense facing Aaron Rodgers with the amount of rest he's had since the Packers played on Thursday? I think Sean Lee being back would be a huge, huge advantage for Dallas. Um, you know, even with the beat up running backs in Green Bay, Green Bay still needs to run the ball. 
um, for that offensive line to give enough time for Rodgers to throw. That play action is so important to them. And if somebody like Sean Lee is able to get in the middle of that and clog up the middle, stop that Packers running game and make them one dimensional, that's a huge lift for the Cowboys defense. Plus, uh, Sean Lee is the quarterback of this Cowboys defense. He calls all the plays and makes sure everybody's uh, in alignment, and especially against a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, who likes, who is a genius at drawing you off sides and catching you with 12 guys on the field. Sean Lee, um, having him in the lineup, should have them more as prepared as possible to face the genius of Aaron Rodgers. But the bigger headline in this game concerns an off-the-field issue, and I'm obviously talking about Ezekiel Elliott's uh, situation. Uh, just yesterday, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans heard an oral argument, and the NFL is asking for an in- the injunction that is blocking his suspension to be dropped by the court. And hypothetically speaking, let's say the court rules in favor of the NFL before Sunday and Elliott cannot play as a result. And if Ezekiel Elliott does not play this week, hypothetically speaking, how well do you think Alfred Morris can fill the void? I think talent-wise, obviously that's a huge drop-off, but just the effect that will have on the rest of the team is just simply demoralizing for Dallas. To to lose one of your top offensive talents for, you know, a suspension that, you know, whether he did or did not, it was a hefty, hefty price to pl- to pay. And like you said, you know, whether that happens or not, it's hard to bet against the NFL when it comes to court. It most certainly is hard to bet against the NFL uh, in court, especially considering that there are more Republican pro-business appointed judges at the circuit court level than there are Democratic uh, pro-labor appointed judges. But uh, the judicial panel that uh, Elliott faced, uh, one judge was appointed by Obama and one of the two Republican appointees uh, is more like Anthony Kennedy, Sandra Day O'Connor type in in his rulings. So and they and with the way they asked questions, it was hard to gauge on what side they were leaning. So uh, so so it's still very much up in the air uh, for that regard. The NFL, I think, wins this case eventually. But whether they get the injunction blocked um, um, remains to be seen. But uh, back to this game, who do you have winning and why? Well, I I have the Packers outlasting the Cowboys 27 to 24. Um, I think the Cowboys defense where it's a little little too much to take on Aaron Rodgers. He's got the extra rest like you had mentioned earlier. And, you know, if the Packers can get running the ball, Demarcus Lawrence has been the best defender for the Cowboys. But the last week or two, it looks like he's trying to do too much. Teams have had success running right at him because he's a little bit out of position, overrunning the plays, trying to make that big play and get the defense off the field. I agree. I like the Packers, too, because the Cowboys secondary, Sandra Orlando Skandrick, is still young and inexperienced, and they experienced their fair share of growing pains against Jared Goff, and they will experience even more of those growing pains against Darren Rodgers as the Packers pull off a close one in Dallas, 31-27. to And now this Sunday night game, which I am very interested in, the best team in the NFL at the moment, the Kansas City Chiefs traveling down to Houston to take on the Texans and red-hot rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson. And we talked about Deshaun Watson a couple weeks ago after he started his first-ever NFL game against the Bengals. And I'm, I can't say I'm surprised uh, to see Deshaun Watson doing so well at the moment because 
regardless of his shortcomings coming from like that spread offense in college, yada, 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 he had that, he has that it factor, as you and I have said. He has that extra dimension of the desire to win, that dimension that Michael Jordan and Tom Brady and those guys had. And as and Dabo Swinney said it perfectly, passing on a Sean Watson is going to be like passing on Michael Jordan. And so far, he's proving his old college coach right. He's definitely um, showing why he is the competitor of competitors. He just knows how to turn it on when it matters most. And under his uh, stewardship, the Texans have scored 90 points, 90 in their last two games. And that has been unheard of for the Texans in recent years. But uh, I don't mean to uh, discredit Deshaun Watson. I am very high on him long-term in this league. I, I think he can be a great quarterback. And with this supporting cast that he has in Houston on both sides of the ball, he could potentially uh, be the final piece that makes the Texans a Super Bowl uh, contender. But his last two games were against two of the worst defenses in the league in the Titans and obviously the Patriots. Um, and he experiences a much tougher test this day against that Chiefs defense. What are some things Deshaun Watson can do better in order to deliver an efficient performance against that Chiefs defense? Yeah, so the Chiefs defense has had a huge amount of success this season by forcing quarterbacks to sit in the pocket and that smothering defense where you see them rushing just three guys and dropping eight into coverage and forcing patience. And that was something that confounded Tom Brady in week one. You saw it again against the Redskins on Monday night. There were too many plays where the quarterback is holding the ball. And doesn't matter what quarterback you are in the NFL, you have that clock in your head. And when that starts going off, you start getting nervous. And that's where they're forcing teams into mistakes. And just being able to generate that pressure with that three or four man rush has been huge for the Chiefs. And that's something that Deshaun Watson is going to have to stay patient on Sunday night against that Kansas City defense especially with the Texans offensive line being uh, one of the more subpar units in the league. But the Chiefs have a little offensive line problem at the moment. I'm not sure if their center Mitch Morse is going to be healthy enough to play this week. And the in their starting guard, uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, uh, one of their two starting guards, got hurt on one of the first couple plays of the game last night. And he was in a knee brace uh, headed out of the stadium. So he looks iffy uh, for this week as well. So... And going against that Texans front of Jadeveon Clowney, J.J. Watt, and Whitney Merciless, plus that crowd noise and a depleted Chiefs offensive line, could that be enough for the Texans to pull off the upset on Sunday night? I'll tell you, it's it's hard not to think that they have a chance. Um, you know, like you had said earlier, alluded to, you know, the Redskins did make some noise against the Chiefs and really had a chance to put their backs up against the wall, showed that they're not entirely invincible and the way the Texans are playing right now, you know, getting those, the great play on defense with that front four front seven and that strong offensive performance from Deshaun Watson, you know, I would say if there's a team that has a chance right now, it's definitely the Texans. And do they pull off that upset? Hal? Uh, no, they don't. The chiefs pull it out 27, 24. Um, I'm I'm running out of superlatives for Kareem Hunt right now. He has best been fantastic. And how did this guy, what did he drop to the third round? That's third just, round. 
mind-boggling right now. <laughs> Absolutely mind-boggling. I call it big school bias. They probably passed over him because he came from small school Toledo, and they uh, had that big school bias uh, uh, notion amongst some draft evaluators I just dislike with a passion. For example, Jerry Rice went to Mississippi Valley State. Walter Payton went to Jackson State. Two, and they're both the all-time best at their position, arguably. So you, so the big school bias uh, argument can kiss my you-know-what. And once again, he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. He covers the New England Patriots for Cover32.com, Scout Media, and MusketFire.com. And Hal, we thank you once again for joining our program and donating your time and your amazing knowledge of football uh, to the show. But you know the deal. Before we go, we have this rapid-fire seven in which we predict the remainder of the NFL games of the week. And let's start now, starting with an afternoon tilt in Pittsburgh at Heinz Field, where the Jaguars, looking to come off a heartbreaking loss against the Jets, have to face that Steelers offense. Who do you got? I'm picking the upset. This Jaguars team is up and down. I see them as up this week, and they pull it off 20-19 to over the Steelers. It wouldn't be a surprise, especially with Ben Roethlisberger showing some age, but I just like the Steelers at home. I think they pull off a close one, 24-19. to 19. And the Jets, surprisingly at 2-2, two and two, traveled to play the Browns at 0-4. Uh, I, I wanted to pick the Browns, but I just can't trust them right now. What about you, Hal? I agree 100%. Um, you know, if anybody's listening for the Browns organization, get Duke Johnson in the backfield more. Use him. He's your best player back there. Uh, I got the Jets by three. Yes, but it'll be a mirage at three and two for the Jets, arguably. And nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, baby. They made a statement against the Falcons with that upset last week, taking a three and one record into Cincinnati to play the Bengals. Do the Bills keep chugging along? The Bills certainly do. That defense is legitimate. First in points per game, a fourth in net yards, fifth in yards per play. They're going to be tough to score on. And with the Bengals' offensive struggles, I have the Bills 13-9, to even without Jordan Matthews. Yes, that Bengals offensive line, I think they're going to have their hands full with that Bills front. Uh, the Tennessee Titans likely to be without Marcus Mariota heading to the Dolphins to take on a struggling Miami team. I think the Dolphins pull it out just because Mariota's not playing in an ugly low-scoring game. What do you got? Ugly and low-scoring is right, but man, it's hard to pick uh, pick Jay Cutler after that performance last week. And Jay Ajaji, he must still have some knee problems there because he hasn't been on track all season. I'm going to say the Titans run the ball with DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry, and it's 16 to 12 Titans. That's what the Titans are going to have to do in order to win without Mariota. The 49ers still looking for that elusive first win despite some admiring performances traveling to Indy to face the Colts. Who do you got? Well, it's the Sam Darnold Bowl, so I'm going to keep the 49ers on track for that top pick and say the Colts take it 16 to 13. Plus, with Andrew Luck uh, scheduled to return, so the Colts better start um, winning more games to put Andrew Luck in the best position possible when he returns. And the Ofer Bowl, the two 0-4 teams from two quarterbacks from the 2004 draft, the Chargers and Phillip Rivers taking on Eli Manning and the Giants. What do you got? Pick your poison. Boy, I almost called this one a tie, but uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Chargers just pull it out at the end. Let's say overtime, twenty to seventeen. 
I agree. And the difference in that game will be Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram going against those turnstiles that are the Giants offensive tackles. Cardinals and Eagles. Who do you got? Another close game, closer than it should be, but I really like the way the offensive line has been playing for the Eagles. It's been a huge part of their success so far at 3-1, and one, and I see the Eagles taking it 27-20. to 20. And the absence of Marcus Golden is going to hurt the Cardinals this weekend for the remainder of the year. That lack of a second pass rush threat opposite Chandler Jones is going to prove costly, giving Carson Wentz more time to find his weapons, and the Eagles pull off 27 to 17 uh, Ravens Raiders Raiders having EJ Manuel starting in place of Derek Carr and the Ravens with Joe Flacco absolutely struggling right now on offense what do you got in that game boy this is a tough one because both like you said both of those offenses it's hard to pick EJ Manuel to win a game and after the performance of Joe Flacco the last couple of weeks I mean, no rhythm, no timing with his receivers. All that time he missed this offseason is clearly affecting that Ravens offense. I'm going to say Khalil Mack does enough on defense for the Raiders to pull out a close one, 13-10. I'm taking the Raiders as well. And with what E.J. Manuel showed against the Broncos, Jared Cook should have caught that pass for a touchdown uh, later in the game. E.J. Manuel, I think, did all he could last week, and I think the Raiders are going to put him in good position this week. They're going to commit to ground uh, to, to pounding the rock again, and I trust that Raiders' uh, interior offensive line to finally play like themselves against a Ravens defensive line that is currently depleted with the injury to Brandon Williams. And last but not least, Monday night football in the Windy City with the Vikings traveling to take on the Chicago Bears and rookie quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Who you got? Well, you know, I would have said the Vikings in a landslide, but that Dalvin Cook injury is going to be a big loss to the offense. I don't know if Latavius Murray is going to be the answer to pick up the load for them the rest of the season. But, you know, unless Mitchell Trubisky can make friends with somebody like Zach Miller as his outlet and feed them all game long, I think the Vikings will pull this one out 27 to 20. I like the Vikings in a uglier, low-scoring game with Case Keenum going against Mitchell Trubisky. The Vikings' defense just makes enough game-deciding plays, and they win by a score of 17-13. to 13. And that's all for today here on Sports Crush with D-Crom, but we'll be back next week with a look at Week 6, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And once again, that is Crunch with a K. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, Man in the Box, I'm David Cromwell saying so long, and of course, as always, stay awesome.